Well, after a week of US CPI prints, China coming out and moving on its COVID zero policy and supporting property developers, risk has gone on a wild ride. We've seen the US dollar getting slammed, but has it run its course? Markets evolve, we evolve. That's the trade-off. Well, hi, I'm Chris Weston, Head of Research here at Pepstone. I'm going to be joined in two seconds by Blake Morrow from Forex Analytics. It is that time of the week again where we go through all the charts, we go through all the setups, we go through all the news and the vibes going through the market. I'm going to bring the great man into the program, Mr. Blake Morrow. This time last week, I think we were pretty much looking at the setups in some of the risk assets and saying, feeling a little bit bearish, feeling a little bit bearish. I don't think we could have been more wrong on that call because the next day everything went bang, 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 bang. So the facts change, we change, we have to change our positions, we have to change our mindset, we have to be open-minded, we have to react. And uh, if you don't, you get caught out. So, uh, you know, how did you trade that? Well, I, you know, I had to change my tune as soon as the inflation data came out. I mean, that, that, was, that was the bottom line, right? That's what sent markets higher initially. And, uh, you know, so you have to follow what the data has given us. And you do, like you said, Chris, you just have to be able to adapt to the, these market conditions. We're in a we're in probably one of the best market conditions you could have as a trader, but you right. have to be willing to change your bias, change your, change your uh, trading plan at a blink of an eye. In fact, change I changed to the wise man once upon a time. Anyway, let's go into some of those facts that are changing sentiment and impacting the charts that we're looking at today. Let's go into Topical Funder. Okay, sentiment, or as the French say, sentiment. Um, let's have a look at what's going on. Blake, you've seen a situation where the S&P's rallied 13%. Uh, we've seen 10-year treasuries. I'm not sure if it's a positive situation, but they've certainly yeah, caught a really strong bid. If you have a look at the SHV, the ETF there, you can see that's had a really nice move. Uh, real rates have come down to the bottom end of the range. In fact, they breached through there. You know, your gold prices have moved up quite sharply. The Aussie dollar and the Kiwi dollar over the last month have been really been the best performer there. That's really been following some, some astronomical rises that we've been seeing uh, in some of the Chinese equity markets. Dollar CNH came down to test seven uh, effectively. So it's been a really good vibe uh, coming through. You know, the VIX has traded down to 24%. There have been vol sellers playing through. Um, but, you know, have we run the rule? I know we're going to go through some charts in the setup with the SP and those factors uh, that are playing through. But we've had a really, really strong rally in some of these risk assets based on you know, what we've been seeing with China coming out, supporting their property developers, changing what we've been seeing around their COVID zero policy. And of course, uh, you know, that weaker CPI number is where he had a lot of it repositioning coming through in the market. But Blake, top level, are we at a point now where you know, it's time to sort of de-risk and look at short positions in risk or are, is there more juice in the tank? Well, I think I'm going to I'm going to answer you could have either. And and here's the thing, I'm I don't want to give away like my setup specifically, but I I will say that the markets can always go further than expected and we also have to keep in mind and the one thing that I told even our traders that 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 I talk to on a daily basis is right after that inflation data came out last week, I'm like, look, you got to be careful to fade the markets as the S&P were going towards 4,000 because institutional clients are going to be chasing the markets and they they have to. They've probably yeah. been grossly underperforming and they have to show performance going into year end. So, you know, this overbought or if you think the markets, uh, you know, can't trade any higher, we've obviously found out over the last 12 years that it can trade a lot higher. So I, I think you have to be careful if you are trying to uh, to, to time a, a if move you, um, risk. 
If you, if you look at the, the seasonal facts, I know we always get people coming out and saying, put more seasonals, put more seasonals, but we are coming into obviously a very seasonally strong period of time. There is a theory out there, if we go and throw it onto the equity market, that you know people talk about FOMO, uh, there's also an acronym FOMU, which is the fear of meaning, meaningly underperforming, more to do with the active fund managers. If this market keeps going up, if we break through, you know, go into the 200-day moving average in 4100 in the S&P, for example, and it keeps going up into year-end, remember, having an open mind, you this idea that, you know, the, the S&P's down, what, what, 15 16% for the year to date, and suddenly it's, you know, getting into single figures but you're down 14% and you have to be in the market. You have to drip feed this market. You have to cover those shorts. You have to get long. You have to drip feed the market. How much of that is a factor and that, that, that could push the market into the end of the year? Well, I think that's, you just eloquently put what could theoretically happen in the year. It could happen. So it's, a, it's a scenario, right? It's a you scenario. Have to, you have to keep your head on a swivel, Chris. And I think that that is a potential, that is the potential risk going into year end. Factoring yeah, like I think you... Yeah, you look at the distribution, the different paths. I mean, we could always go and make new lows if some of the data in December comes in hotter, um, certainly the inflation one, uh, and the Fed really pushed back. But, you know, the other scenario is that we could get that melt up into the end of the year. So we don't know. Of course, we don't know. But that we look at the different scenarios. That is one scenario that could feasibly happen. Yeah, it sure could. Well, you know, that that's going to let me you know talk about our next topic, which would be the yen. And this is a conversation I had with some of my colleagues just yesterday, or maybe it was earlier today. It's hard for me to keep track exactly when we talked about this. But, um, you know, it, following following the move, or excuse me, following the situation that happened in Poland, uh, I guess that was yesterday. And was. for me, maybe two days for you. <laughs> so we're, we're in different time zones. But um, when that situation happened, what we did see is we saw a bout of yen strength through the headline. Now, I was keeping an I was I was at an arm's length away from the market but still watching quotes and I always pay attention to the yen no matter what. So, so when those headlines came out, I saw the yen actually show some signs of strength which we haven't seen in for a risk aversion type of move in quite some time. And so my my question is to you, Chris, we've seen a really big move lower in the dollar yen. We've seen a lot of the yen pairs come down a little bit. Uh, but the dollar yen has really come down aggressively. Is this time to be buying the yen? You know, because you, you, from maybe a, even a hedge perspective, or maybe you know the Bank Bank of Japan's, you know, maybe falters a little bit on their YCC. I mean, what what do you think about the yen at current levels, especially after this big move in the dollar yen? Yeah, I wouldn't be buying it for safe haven purposes, to be honest. I mean, if you're buying for safe haven purposes, it's because bond yields are coming down and the Japanese you know, dovish policy is therefore you know, given some um, validity. Uh, and I think that's really where you're looking. If you look at the back end of the Treasury curve, you know, bonds have gone heavily bid. You know, we've seen yields drop on 10 years to about 368. The, the, the yield curves are about as inverted as we've, we've seen for many, many years. That's a big topic in itself. So long-end yields have gone down. Real rates have gone down. So if we are seeing a safe haven bid, it's because treasuries are going down and then for the yen's rallying. But people aren't, I don't think people are buying the Japanese yen as a safe haven per se. If you're going to go out and still do that, if you think the world's going into, you know, into a much darker spot, I would probably be buying the, continue to buy the dollar as that hedge. 
uh, that that would that would be my continued continued view. But I think a lot of it now is is treasuries. Dollar yen worked really well when people are de-risking, but the dollar was going because treasury yields were going up, right? But that's that's the opposite now. So if bond yields are falling, then the yen works quite well um, in that situation. So you've got to understand why you're buying the yen. You're buy if you're buying it for safety purposes, it's because treasury yields are going bid and you're finding them falling. So the yen will work in that situation. So really, it's just a, it's a view on the on on the on the bond market. So that's a different dynamic, which I think has changed recently. How much are you observing that, Blake? I, you know, it's just, it's one of those things that I saw through the corner of my eye for a split second. And I'm like, you know what, what if, and you got to, as a trader, we ask the what if questions, what if this happens, you know, would I be buying the yen in that situation? If there was a, a, a really big de-risking type of situation in the market, yeah. um, I'm I'm starting to, to ask that question again. And I haven't asked that question in over a year. So it's been a long time since I've, well, I've if Blake's this. asking the question, I think everyone should be asking the question. But if the fact is, is now, you know, if the world's looking like you're actually going to go into a, 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 a dice, if there's some news that comes out that says, oh, right, this is really going to impact sentiment. It's going to, in if the bond market goes bid, then the yen will buy bid, basically, is I think is the, is the best way to look at it. Do I buy treasuries? Do I buy an ETF? Or do I buy the yen? These are the kind of, the, the, you're choosing your best vehicle, aren't you, to express a thematic? Sure are. Let's go into data. But, you know, what I think is really interesting, Blake, now is, is that we've got this kind of hiatus. Uh, and I've, I know there's a whole plethora of Fed officials been coming out the last sort of 24 hours and they will go through to the end of the week. I'm not sure it matters too much because they're kind of reacting to what data we've been seeing. For me, really, now, is, is, is going, into the, going into December, there's kind of a lot of housing data. There's a lot of tier two sort of data coming through. But it's the start of December where shit gets real, right? You know, this is when we start going. We've got an FOMC meeting for you on the 14th, for us in, in, on the 15th, 15th of December. Um, and that's going to be absolutely key, right? You know, you're going to have new economic projections. You're going to have new dot plot projections. As Mary Daly talked about last night, Esther George, sorry, talked about last night. They're going to use the dots to sort of reinforce the idea that, that, that rates are going to be higher and for a longer period. Um, that December meeting is going to be big. So how does that frame into it? Now, of course, you've got the, the jolts report on the first day of December. Uh, on the second, you've got the payrolls report. Uh, and then it's really you've got to wait through to um, yeah the, the, the day before FOMC when we get the next CPI print. That print is going to be absolutely massive. I know it's a long way away, but that period between the 1st of December to the 14th of December, it's going to be so lively in markets. Everyone wants to calm down for Christmas. Everyone wants a chilled period. They ain't going to get it because that period of data is going to be massive. But until that point, we don't really have a lot of key data that, that's going to influence the Fed. So it's going to be interesting to see how the markets may trade into December. And then as we go through that period, how are you seeing that situation? Well, definitely the jobs data, as you pointed out, that's going to be like a key number one. It's interesting how the, the market actually responded to the stronger retail sales data today. Big, and we saw it? the dollar. I'm sorry. It was big. Big, it, big it was it was it was huge, and and that it's interesting because we saw the dollar go really bid on that, and obviously we're going to talk some of, some of the dollar technical setups in a little bit, but you know went really bid, and it was a big piece of data, and and I think it didn't really shake the confidence of the market. I think the market still believes that data is going to start to weaken, it's going to start to soften as we head into December, and that's why the euro popped its head right back above one hundred four. But I don't know, Chris. I think that we're going to have to keep our our eye on the data, and I, especially the the uh, jobs data. Everybody's expecting jobs data to continue to weaken yeah. or to start to show softness. I don't know if we're going to get it. But it's, you know, you it's interesting. We're just looking at the CNN credit card data. The credit card balances in the U.S. at the moment are twenty years high, twenty year highs. 
So the consumer's actually in, 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 in not terrible shape. The labor market's in, in rude health in the US. But what's interesting is with the cumulative tightening that's already taken place in the US, obviously that came through in the Fed statement last time around, yeah, could it be that, that actually inflation falls, not necessarily because of Fed tightening, but because high prices feed on themselves and supply chains are easing? That's why the next inflation print will come down. If we see core inflation falling, headline inflation falling down, and it's not necessarily because of tightening of, of, of financial conditions, but because prices are feeding on themselves, high, the best cure for high prices is high prices. Maybe the Fed doesn't need to raise next year at all. So I think this, that, that's why this uh, inflation number could be really important. But the labour market is strong. Consumers are OK. You know, let's hope inflation can come down by itself. That would be hugely positive for risk assets, I think. It really would. And then that might fuel that first conversation we had uh, about sentiment. So that's something that we should be keeping in mind. Hey, I want to talk about something that's on the mind of a lot of traders going into tomorrow is trading the UK autumn budget. And that's the... Uh, it's, it's, it's it, you know, well, everybody's got their eyes on it. Why? Because obviously what happened with Liz Truss and when she announced the budget, that was yeah. like the, the 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 start of the roller coaster in, in the gilt market and the sterling trading to all time lows, yada, yada, yada. Now, my two cents is we're probably not going to get that type of reaction because everybody's going to be looking and everybody's going to be nitpicking and everybody's going to be a UK budget professional tomorrow and i'm telling you i i'm not one and i'm i'm no. going to be here to tell you i'm not one but uh you know jeremy hunt's expected to uh, to, to you know the chancellor is expected to raise sunak. taxes rishi uh, well rishi the, what's that rishi sunak no but he's that's the that's the prime minister but isn't the isn't the chancellor jeremy hunt Oh, maybe yeah. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, well, he's expected, and he's gonna he's gonna be he's gonna be uh, you know giving his speech. He's expected to raise taxes, announce spending cuts, and it's supposed to be anti-inflationary. That's 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 the that's the goal, right? And he's gonna be ask he's asking everyone to take sacrifices. He's even gonna raise taxes or on the on the 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 upper upper income earners. And I think he's bringing that bar down. He's expected to bring that bar down so he can tax more of the high earners. Anyway, they, they have a budget shortfall of like 50 billion sterling and like 40% of it's coming from tax hikes and uh, 60% is supposed to come from spending cuts. But I, I'm not, like I said, I'm not a pro at watching the budget. I'm a pro at watching price action. And how are you feeling going into tomorrow? Because the sterling has gone really far. Strong, I mean, we've bounced, yeah. Uh, yeah, we've bounced aggressively. We trade above 120 today. Do you continue to buy here or yeah. are you selling I don't think anyone's really... That when we devise playbooks, we talked about the playbook on the CPI last week and we look at the different outcomes. Yeah. And I, I think this is too hard basket, to be honest. What do the market... What do the pound traders like? They like a fiscally responsible government. Obviously, we've seen that. I had a moment of madness. I forgot my politicians. Um, but, you know... Um, you know, I think the market wants to see, uh, you know, something that shows that they're they're on a credible path um, with, right. with its fiscal prudency. Maybe you could see a bit of a pop um, if we were to see further, you know, higher tax um, that weighting of tax hikes relative to spending come down because that would that would be less growth 
um, less of a headwind on growth, I think. So if there's slightly higher weighting towards taxes rather than public spending cuts, I think that that, that could be a slight sterling positive. But, I, I, you know, I think as long as the market sees that they're addressing that fiscal shortfall and that they're, they're, they're being prudent in that situation, I think the market will probably give this a wide berth and say, that's great, fantastic, well done. Uh, and they'll look at other factors that are playing through. But I don't see any reason why you probably see this changing the course of trajectory that, that we get again a 50 basis point hike from, from the Bank of England at the next meeting. So I, I suspect you know, that it's a too hard basket for me to make a playbook on at the moment. Probably the biggest factor at the moment out there is, is how do England get on in the World Cup? Obviously, the first game against Iran. We're all going to be England uh, football supporters in that situation. So, yeah, bring on Qatar, bring on Iran, um, and uh, yeah, see the boys get through there. So it'll be an interesting one. Anyway, let's take it into uh, That's a Setup. Right, first one, uh, brought up a chart last week of Euro dollar. So if we can just uh, quickly take this up onto the screen. Uh, we wanted to see yeah, whether it was going to sort of stay in that, that range, that yellow box. Obviously, it smashed through there. The dollar got absolutely creamed. You saw a situation where yeah, dollar CNH, for me, was probably at the right of the heart of that. So yeah, the a really strong bid coming through in the Chinese yuan, and I think that sort of resonated across G10 pairs. Um, but yeah, the dollar was taken down. Equity markets rallied pretty high. The need for US dollar as a hedge was removed. Um, and we've seen the euro dollar have on that, that kind of really strong impulsive move. As you can see, it's hugging the upper Bollinger Bands. The rate of change on the bottom, I've got a three-day uh, ROC. Yeah, that's that's moved up. It's the, you know, the rate of change obviously sort of coming down. But what we're seeing now, Blake, is slightly longer tails on those uh, longer wicks on the on, on, on the on the candles. We're coming into the 200-day moving average. We've also taken into the 161 Fibo extension of that breakout period. Uh, so we are in that kind of natural headwind now. The question is, is this the time now to start fading? Do we start buying dollars into this level? Uh, or does this smash through and we start seeing 106? What's your thoughts? Well, you know, one thing that I have to observe, you already you already pointed it out that we've actually struggled at the 200-day moving average of the last couple of days. And I shorted the piss out of the thing today. Wait, I'm sorry. Did that? I, that did, did, did come out. Sorry. We can edit that one out, mate. Don't worry. You get one shot. I did, I did actually. <laughs> I, I, I'm going to talk my own book. I actually shorted the euro uh, at, late in the day today. But anyway, um, and I'm break even right about where we're at right now, because I love the fact that it struggled. It's gone really far. It's also the daily RSI is becoming a little overbought. And I love the fact that we just cracked above that August high. If we dip back below, let's see, the, the, the level that you should probably be watching really carefully, back below 103.50. I think it. I think it's given us a little false breakout. It'll, it'll, it'll punish some of the late chasers, and that's how I'm looking at the euro. Are you going to be selling it up here, mate? I just, you know, it's, what I've done is got. You can see the red moving average, and I've got the, the eight day exponential moving average. Um, if I was in a long position, I'm not. But if I was in a long position, I'd still hold right now, um, and and just wait for that that to cross over, get out when that happens, because you see in these kind of strong moves up that hugs the upper Bollinger Band that it can continue going, and that will that will keep you in the trade. Yeah, you might sacrifice a few profits if you don't take them here. Um, but you've seen it so many times when a market starts to trend, uh, just using a simple moving average crossover system just like that will keep you in the trade if it does continue going. So, you know, I, if I was holding longs, I'd stay in longs right now. Um, but I wouldn't be adding, I wouldn't be initiating long positions at these levels at the moment. All right. Well, that's that's good to know because I'm glad I'm uh, I'm starting to fade it then right at these levels. Let's talk about the S&P and maybe we were just a day day earlier a week early in our case fading risk but now i'm looking at the s&p once again here we are at the 618 retracement we're approaching that 200 day moving average and i think there's a good selling opportunity anywhere between the 200 day moving average 
And that channel resistance that comes up right around 4110, 4120, depending on what instrument you're using, you know, whether you're looking at futures or a CFD or whatever, what have you. But the SP right around the 4100 level, probably gonna find some major, major, major resistance up there. We also have a minor channel resistance that we're knocking our head up against and a 618 golden fib level that comes in right above 4,000. I like it from a risk reward standpoint on the short side. However, I do think the risks are heightened because of what we talked about earlier in the show, Chris. So if you if you need to go back and rewind and listen to what asset managers could be doing going into year end, that is a risk. But I think the setup is good. And as long as you know where your risk is and your reward can outpace your risk, those are the types of trades I like to take. What are yeah. your thoughts here, Chris? No, I, I, I like the move we've been seeing. It's just been a decent quality. You know, it, it's just been yeah, really, really quite quite emphatic. But, you know, if you look at the participation, it's been very strong. You know, you've seen energy obviously working well. Exxon looks pretty good at the moment. Goldman Sachs has had an absolute monster gain recently. Breadth has been pretty good. You know, you've got 55% of companies now above the 200-day moving average, getting into the highest 80s above the 20 and 50-day moving average. So markets internals have been strong. Um, I really wanted to see this a little bit higher just to see that elastic band pulled before I started shorting the market, you know, getting into the 200-day moving average into 40.73. You know, as you can see here, we we sold off in uh, at that level on the 21st of April and also the 16th of August. So it has shown uh, recently that's the level the market's been happy to sell into. So a little bit of a squeeze higher would have been the levels I'm, I'm, I'm getting. The risk is we don't get that feel at the moment. So yeah, I like it. Obviously, it goes, go back to the Euro-Dollar trade. If we are going to see the S&P find sellers at this level, um, yeah, we have got options expiry this week. That's obviously something that could suppress volatility and keep it keep it from rally uh, from 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 falling too hard. But if we are going to see the market respect, yeah, this channel pattern that you've got, then of course now Euro dollar is probably a good sell as well. So that sort of feeds into your cross asset view that you just talked about there as well. I'm going to bring um, uh, a chart of Bitcoin up because this is an interesting one. We've just seen Genesis uh, announce that they're they're halting withdrawals. Um, there's been so much negativity around FTX. People, fund managers talking about what's yeah their exposures to it. Different asset managers uh, and, and other funds talking about their exposure to to the counterparty there. Um, you know, the interesting thing, Blake, I've got a four-hour chart of Bitcoin now. Of course, Bitcoin holding up better than some of the altcoins, as you'd imagine. Um, but you can see there, we got down into those lows, into the sort of the lows 15,000s, um, and then we sort of just meandered on. What I've done is I've got an anchored VWAP um, you know, attached to those lows just to show you as we sort of push back into those that that, that range, the June range low, um, you know, it's just been trading quite messy, to be honest. It's sort of mean reverting. It's been, you've got to trade to that market dynamic, that environment that we're in at the moment. And right now, you know, you're trading the range. So VWAP strategies work quite well. You can draw a Bollinger Band on that and you're just waiting for the scatty move. But, you know, we've, we've, we've had that volatile move down and we're just trading sideways. So I'm happy to, to, to trade that range. How are you seeing that at the moment? Why are we not seeing it lower than the, than the current <laughs> levels, isn't it? It's a big question as well. That is a big question. And and I think, uh, I, I Here's here's just my point of view. Uh, as long as we remain below eighteen thousand, I can't remember. I can't imagine being on the long side. I think this is one of those assets that's just waiting for another uh, shoe to drop. You know, Bloomberg just just reported that BlockFi is preparing for bankruptcy proceedings. I mean, you know, <laughs> there's a lot of negativity around the space. You could argue that it hasn't come down yet, but that doesn't mean it won't go down. It just I, I've I've had this overarching view that Bitcoin's going to see you know somewhere between five to 10,000 over the course, you know, before it actually bottoms out. And I think that's the path that we have to keep, keep in mind, but you can range trade it. But I think if you're trading it on the long side, Chris, you have to have stops 
and they have to be adhered to. You cannot second guess them. You can't readjust them. You just have to keep your stops in play. I would just be selling rallies, but if you wanted to buy dips, that's how you do it. Yeah, stops. You trade. You trade the environment. We're, we're consolidating at the moment. But as I say, the big question I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm speaking to a few clients about is they're like so much negativity. Why is Bitcoin not into the you know twelve thousand, fourteen thousand below that sort of levels at the moment? And when things you know, don't go down when they should. That's got to ask a few questions, but I'm not, I would certainly wouldn't be buying with any kind of like, you know, swing trade, any kind of like conviction at the moment. I see the market is uh, trying to bring your clients in. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> but it's a good point. It's a good point. It's a valid point. All right. So let's, let's move us, let's move us over to the Aussie. And you know, whenever I'm looking at asset classes, Chris, and we're talking about the Aussie dollar, uh, or in this case, we're going to be talking about the Aussie dollar. But when I was looking at the S&P, you're looking at the Euro, you're seeing the Aussie right up against that same resistance. These are It's basically the same trade, whether you're doing the S&P or you're doing the Aussie. However- So one trade. You have, you, have to ask, it's, you have to ask, which is the better which is the better horse? Which is the horse that's gonna be a little faster than the other one? And uh, I look at the S&P, I look at the Aussie, and I think both of them actually look equally Good, but you'll notice how that that Aussie is right up against channel resistance. Yes, it's got a little bit more room to the 200-day moving average, but it's also up against the 618 retracement. There's a lot of previous support coming into view, and so I like the Aussie on the short side. I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you though, Chris. You know, being that you're 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 in Australia and you're 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 Australian. Well, are you anyway? Yeah, kind of. <laughs> but what is what are the risks? from a macro point of view coming up in the Aussie dollar? Well, I just, I think the Aussie dollar is just a, is a proxy of, of uh, you know, we've seen copper going on a really good run into 374. You've seen the Hang Seng, you know, going up 26% or so. Yeah, these are the, it's, it's like a Nirvana backdrop for the Australian dollar and the Kiwi dollar. You know, they're both doing the same thing. The Kiwi's actually been outperforming over the last month or so. But, you know, you've seen a situation where we've seen a weaker dollar. When you see a weaker dollar, commodity prices work well. It has a feedback loop into the Aussie. You've seen China markets outperforming because, you know, they had a 20-point plan to help, um, you know, COVID and 16-point plan to help, you know, property developers. And there was a 250 billion renminbi, you know, package to help them, you know, come out to with financing. You're not going to get a better situation for the Australian dollar than that. Everything is working. Uh, and that's why we've seen you know, this move up into, into 67, into 68 cents. So the question now is, is with all of that, that positivity price, it, yeah, is it in the cake? What takes it you know, through that resistance level? That's the big thing. So um, yeah, the, the, we, we've gone through Nirvana-like conditions. So I guess what are the risks? The risk is that we see you know, a stronger US dollar and that feeds down into lower industrial metals. You know, the Hang Seng has a bit of a rollover. That would be the situation. So, you know, if you're looking for your variables, you're looking at those variables I talked about. But the risk is obviously, you know, a stronger dollar feeds into lower commodity prices. Asian equity markets go uh, under a bout of uh, profit taking. The Aussie goes down in that scenario as well. So one to watch. Uh, anyway, let's go to our play of the day. Interesting one. Um, I'm just going, sort of going, going in the FX crosses uh, to start with, uh, and I'm going to bring up Sterling CAD. Now, again, you know, we've got that 200-day moving average quick kicking in, um, and again, you know, this this is a trade that I'm, I'm sure a lot of people would dislike, but I love buying strength, Blake. You know, when when you see a breakout and you can see a nice breakout above that previous high in the pound, you know, everyone everyone hates buying the pound. We know we all hate buying the pound, but it's been super strong, right? You know, we talked about the cable move there as well. We've got the, the fiscal budget um, coming through, the fiscal statement coming through in the session ahead. 
Um, but what I really like about this is, is, is once this broke out and closed, it did so at the highs. It shows that the balls are firmly in control. And now I have no guarantee this is going to continue trending. Um, but yeah, the, the directional bias, the rate of change, the moving average studies all suggest that the, the path of least resistance continues to be higher. Uh, and I want to see this you know, continue to trend. Is it going to trend? I have no idea. Um, trend followers never really predict. They just go along for the ride. This, this may just be a failed breakout. But yeah, you want to go along for this. This is broken out and uh, yeah, it has a real strong propensity to trend. So that's what I'm looking for. You know, we're, we're looking for trending vehicles. Yeah, can this be one? Absolutely, I'm looking one. So I think it's a great setup. You know, I'll be looking to trade this on the long side. I love that too. Actually, and if you're looking at the Euro Canadian, it's also, you know, giving another breakout very similar, which which is great. It's great when you can have multi uh, uh, cross rates moving up in the same direction. Yeah. Um, my play of the day is going to be coffee, and I'm gonna I'm gonna tip my hat to one of the producers. It's Black Blake coffee time. So, uh, <laughs> but. Coffee is trading down. It's been really under pressure. Daily sentiment index overnight came in at 10. It's almost a single digit number. When you start getting down at these levels, that becomes a risk of everybody's too bearish, and then you're going to get a recovery type of trade. We also coincidentally are coming into the 618 retracement. As you all know, those of you that have been listening here at the trade offer since the inception know that I love the 618 FIB level, and we're coming right to it at 153.46. Uh, that is a 618 retracement of the May 2019 lows to the February 2022 highs. So now that we've got this dip right into a congestion area, just a little bit lower, maybe a new daily low, you might want to trade, take it on the long side with some tight stops, look for a bounce. And that is going to be my play of the day, Chris, the well, Blake I really, I really hope that it keeps falling, not because I want you to be wrong, but because I'm really hoping I can go to the local coffee shop and not, not, well, not only will my barista have amazing, amazing chat and he drives a single speed bike as well, but hopefully my cup of coffee can get a little bit cheaper going forward. I doubt that's going to be the case, but something to watch out for. Anyway, that's it for the trade-off. If you've stayed on this long, you've obviously seen Blake's really very poor synopsis and, and heading. Uh, but yeah, give us a like, <laughs> leave your comments, let us know how you're trading these markets. There's a lot going on. And uh, as always, if we can get to them, uh, we will you know, love to, we'd love to hear exactly how you're trading the markets, whether it's down the dollar and you know, whether it's risk and sentiment and those factors as well. Anyway, we love it all. We'll be back next week for more of The Trade-Off.